welcome to the very first episode of Legendary Africa. Yep. The yeah. reboot. The reboot. No, no. Just the relaunch. Yeah, so for those of you who are a bit confused, because I imagine that you're looking at this podcast, you're seeing all the green iconed episodes below mm. this one, and you're like, what the hell? Did they get knocked by a car? Do they have long-term amnesia? <laughs> are they just trying to pretend that all those episodes didn't happen? It's all of the above. It's as... Pumba says, put your behind in the past. You put your past behind you. <laughs> no, so actually what's happening is that uh, we started this podcast as Legendary, which was just a world mythology podcast looking at pretty much anything and everything to do with folklore, mythology, legends, etc., etc., around the world. And then we decided, well, one thing that's not out that much in the world is uh, podcasts on African mythology. Yeah. So uh, then we thought, well, why not specialize in our home continent? And we decided to relaunch this as Legendary Africa. Yeah, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, there's been a lot of sort of build up to this, a lot of hype. And uh, if you wanted, uh, you know, more information on why we decided to specialize on Africa, check out our YouTube channel. Oh, plug yeah. in it. Yep, <laughs> there's my plug. <laughs> Legendary Africa, we have a YouTube tap. Uh, a YouTube. <laughs> Messed up already. <laughs> we have a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And um, we're probably going to be posting content on there on Wednesdays, weekly, or, you know, once every two weeks, depending on how lazy we are, (laughs) depending on how much I don't want to put on makeup. Yeah, it's, it's, we'll see. It'll happen when it happens. I mean, Lockdown has created a completely new us, I think. I mean, you were just saying before we started recording, (laughs) as soon as we get home, it's bras off, game on. Right? (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. I've never liked bras. I've always taken my bra off when I come home. But now it's like, you don't wear bras for two to three weeks. And then suddenly you go out to the shop and you're like, what is this thing? I'm strapping to my body. I know. Why? It, it makes me feel like I'm a preteen all over again. You know, like when you're 11 or 12 and you're getting those training, training bras? bras? Which don't make any sense, but anyway. And you're conscious of wearing a bra like every single day mm. for like the first three years of that. Yeah. That's how it feels now when I put on a bra to go out to the mall or something. And I'm just conscious of my breasts being constrained. But like, you, can f- you can feel the outline of the bra. It's yeah. Very, like before I could even fall asleep in a bra sometimes. I'm know? just like, for God's sake, can someone please hakuna these tatas? <laughs> it's all about Lion King today. <laughs> I, you know we couldn't do this podcast without making at least one Lion King joke. No, it's true. Anyway, so for those of you who were previously with us with the Legendary, welcome back. And for anyone new, welcome. You don't know us yet, so uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Rishalia, this is my sister... Tashira. And uh, Tashira here is our local classicist. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, she's busy doing her masters in uh, Greek and Roman classics something. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that was great. That t- I'm doing... My specialization is Greek and Roman classics something. Uh, nobody really knows what it is. Well, exactly what I said then. Yeah. So we're all good. Well done. <laughs> and I'm what you would call a freelance napping expert. She doesn't have a job. <laughs> I'm self-employed. Uh-huh. With what? Entrepreneurial work activities. Cool. <laughs> candle selling. You know, actually, no, no, man. I was going to get into the whole fact that candle selling is actually a very good business, but that's all another podcast. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we're two sisters. Uh, that decided to uh, get together, start a podcast, seeing as we're stuck in the same house together probably for the rest of the year and the rest of the decade anyway. Yeah. Oh, also we're from South Africa. I feel like people don't know that we didn't say that. 
Well, I mean, we did say we're from the African continent, but yes, to be more specific. There's a lot of countries. <laughs> <laughs> to be more specific, we are from South Africa, so we'll definitely be including some premium South African content, mm-hmm. both in uh, YouTube and in the podcast. But we're going to be co- covering all um, 2,523 countries <laughs> in Africa. <laughs> Here's the thing. I actually don't know how many countries uh, there are in our continent. I'm going to take a guess at 52. You take a guess, and then I'll Google it, and we'll find out Okay, I'm going to say... Closer. I'm going to say... 54. Okay, so mine's 52, yours is 54. Mm-hmm. Let's Google it. Hey, Google, how many countries are there in Africa? 54 countries. Oh! To Mo Africa Tours. There are 54 countries in Africa. Suck it! <laughs> how the hell? You cheated. No, I didn't. I totally <laughs> just guessed. Also, I'm just a genius, so... <laughs> <laughs> and can I just say, that's mm. the first time Google has ever actually replied to my voice. Oh, really? Yeah, that usually never happens. Oh. But you didn't realize you have to press down the center button? No, it's supposed to hear your voice. Oh, really? Anyway, this podcast has already gotten wildly off track. <laughs> if you didn't know, now you know. This is how it's going to go, folks. It's mm-hmm. all about the ADHD. Yep, all the ADD. All the DAA. All the... Anyway. D-A-A-D. That is actually something. Um, I don't know what it is. <laughs> no, no, no. So, um, yeah, there's been a lot going on in the world recently. It's been a bit of a dark patch. Yeah. Um, we released a video about the current protests going on in the U.S., and we'd just like to reiterate our support for the protesters. Uh, it's about time that marginalized voices are heard, not just while the hashtags are trending and while it's cool to support black people, but always. Exactly. And we need not only activism, but active changes to policies, active reformation in the police force, and, um you know, proper representation on all levels of government. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, we pointed out also that there is also police brutality going on in South Africa. It's slightly different, you know, I think South Africa obviously has a long history of race-based violence, um, you know, from apartheid, which ended in in 94. But since then, we've dealt with our own issues, um, climbing crime rates, all kinds of things like this. And uh, during the coronavirus lockdown, there have been kind of unjustifiable uh, levels of police force used against people violating lockdown rules. Yeah. So we just wanted to kind of bring that to the attention of our listeners as well. I mean, I think that often... It's not to say that things that go on in big countries like the US and the UK are not important. They're extremely important. Um, But sometimes... Uh, stuff going on in the rest of the world, particularly in so-called developing countries like uh, South Africa, is a little bit, you know, cast to the to the side. And so I just like to highlight that, yeah, we we also have issues with p- police brutality here as well. Yeah, although what I what I find very interesting and good um, is that the protests currently happening in the US, the UK, all over the world, New Zealand, even um, it's actually served to highlight the police brutality that's happening right here. Um, if you look at social media, people have actually done what we've done. So they've pointed out you know, that they're in support of the protests happening in the US and the UK. And they're saying, but no, we can't we can't be angry about that without being angry about the police brutality happening here in South Africa. Right. And that's actually led to, um, it's actually gotten the attention of our president. Yeah. And so um, remember Collins Kosa, uh, he's the man who died by the by military, right. Andrew Gilliam. Now, actually, the president has come out and said that he's going to investigate that further, even though it's a, technically a closed case. Oh, good. So it actually helps that everyone everywhere around the world is acting and speaking out 
you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the more noise that we make globally, the more change we can actually um, create all mm-hmm. over the world. Yeah, so basically, America, we stand with you and we hope that you stand with us as well in this great circle of life. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> That's the third one. As we step blinking into the sunlight mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> and there's more to do than can ever be done. And more to see. Than can ever be seen. Nice. <laughs> the circle of life. Yeah, no, please, this is not a singing podcast. <laughs> Tina Turner, bitch. <laughs> All right, so uh, just a little bit more housekeeping to do before we get on with our first myths. We'd like to uh, give a shout out to the people who have been uh, reviewing the podcast, subscribing, listening and everything. Um, There's been so many of you, particularly on our social media and everything. So we'd just like to say thank you so much for the love. Thank you so much for supporting us during our shift over to this um, new format and for waiting for us while we got our new equipment. Yeah, and we, for encouraging us. There's been yeah. so many people that, like, you know, we're really happy. We're, you know, thank them, excited to see the change. So that's really helped us through. Yeah, absolutely. So this first episode is definitely dedicated to the podcasting community mm-hmm. and all our regular bays. Um, and then, of course, as always, if you enjoy this podcast, or even if you don't enjoy it, subscribe it just so that you can leave us hate comments. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, review... It can be a bad review, it can be a good review, it can be a medium review. Any review is welcome. Yeah. Oh, actually, in terms of reviews, I actually want to just be more specific. Um, you can, if you uh, can, review on iTunes. But actually, I've, I've been getting a lot of questions from people who have Android yeah. devices. Uh, apparently, you can review on Podchaser. Right. Are we on Podchaser? I'm pretty sure we're on Podchaser. Okay. <laughs> if, for some reason, you can't find any platform to review, please do email us at staylegendarypod at gmail.com. Sorry, let me just say that again because <laughs> it came out wrong. Staylegendarypod at gmail.com and I'll get back to you and tell you where you can leave your comments and reviews, etc. Uh, also, if you don't feel like doing that, you feel like rather just hitting us up on social media, please feel free. We are on Twitter at legendarypod1 and on Instagram at legendarypod. Yeah. All right, well, without any further ado, let us get on to the myths, the legends, the lore, the... Okay, that's <laughs> The fairy right. tales, okay. Okay, so I'm going to let you go. Okay, where's the bottle? Where do I smash? <laughs> so, I thought I would start us off on something exhilarating, exciting, ferocious. Okay. So, we're going to be talking about the were-hyena. Whoa, yeah, just scream into the microphone, why don't Sorry, you? Sorry, I got too excited. The were-hyena. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but seriously, sorry that I didn't react. Because that's, no, that's fine. freaking amazing. It's okay, it's, it's fine. If you don't find it interesting, it's fine, it's fine. Can, can we just take it back a little bit? Just, okay. <laughs> I'll be talking about the were hyena. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it makes complete sense, right, that we have were hyenas instead of werewolves, because wolves are native to, to Africa. Africa. Right. Um, so we created our own were creatures, the were hyena. Legends of these were-hyenas exist in Somalia, Ethiopia, Sudan, Tanzania, Morocco, Nigeria, Chad, and Mali. So it's pretty widespread. Okay. Um, so just to be a bit broader, pretty much all over East and Central Africa. Yeah, so not so much South. Okay. And not so much North, I guess. Although Chad is pretty up there. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I thought I'd give like a little bit of background to each place, especially focusing mostly on like ancient history, so I'm not going to go into modern history at all. Sure. Uh, if you'd be interested in that. Yeah, totally. Okay, so Somalia. Uh, Somalia is located right in the Horn of Africa. Uh, it's now officially the Federal Republic of Somalia and has been inhabited since the Paleolithic, which is the Old Stone Age. 
Right. I was about to say Paleolithic. Is that before or after the dinosaurs? Right. So it's roughly <laughs> 3.3 million years ago. Okay. Inhabited, because uh, we, we were with the dinosaurs, were we? <laughs> well, I mean, wait, humans are only like, what, 500,000 years old or something? We're not scientists. <laughs> <laughs> we're archaeologists. Yeah, exactly. Wait, that makes it worse, so you should know then. Okay, it's fine. Moving on. Um, so from around the 2nd millennium BC, Somalians traded with ancient Egypt and Mycenaean Greece. And during the classical era, which is like around the 8th century BC, mm-hmm. scholars believed that the legendary ancestors of the Somalians, called Macrobians, which is clearly named by the Greeks, Okay. Because that's no way that's an African name. Right. Established a powerful and renowned kingdom. Now, these guys are really interesting. They were reputed uh, to have almost immortal-like lives. They were very wealthy, and they were said to be the tallest and handsomest of all men. The Somalians? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, East Africans, as far as I know, like the Maasai people and things, are known for being tall. Yeah. And handsome. And skinny. <laughs> um... What's interesting here is that there was a Persian emperor in about 525 BC who actually tried to make the Somalians uh, submit the Macrobians. Okay. So he he sent an ambassador saying, look, if you don't lay down your weapons, we're going to invade. And the um, Macrobian leader at the time said, you can, uh, we will submit to you if you can string this bow. Oh, yeah. Now, because they were so tall, this bow was hella tall. Okay. So he was like, go for it, you know, we'll see. So it was the mother mm, of long bows. It was... It was huge. <laughs> None of the Persians could string it, so they just left them alone. <laughs> They're like, you know what, it's okay. They're smaller enemies. <laughs> That's the ultimate pacifist way of avoiding a war, right? <laughs> I mean, I just found that kind of interesting because I feel like it flips stereotypes slightly. How do you mean? As in, um, I don't want to sound weird, but I feel like for people who are looking at modern-day Africa, like when you look at Ethiopian things, I feel like people see weakness. Right. All, like, struggling people and stuff like that. But in ancient times, um, the Greeks and, and Persians were scared of them <laughs> and all revered them. Right, absolutely. Just, I mean, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the ancient Greeks see the Ethiopians as kind of the most perfect example of mankind? Yeah. Actually, their, their Greek god Poseidon um, favoured the Ethiopians above his own Greek people. Yeah, and honestly... I'm not surprised, because Ethiopians be toit. Okay. <laughs> Any Ethiopians out there? Hello? Call me on 188-04-DTF. <laughs> um, so, during the Roman Empire, Somalia also traded with Rome, Arabia, and India for spices. Oh. So, it's pretty interesting that there was so much trade going on at that time. And then, during the Middle Ages, there were actually several Somali empires, which dominated the uh, regional trade at that time. So that was just a little bit of stuff. I didn't know there was there were all these things that happened. You know, there was these kingdoms, there these amazing people. Um, I just found that interesting. Okay, so the were hyenas in Somalia. Here the myth speaks of a being called Kori Ismaris, which, and please don't laugh at this, it means one who rubs himself with a stick. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> rubs himself with a stick. Not in the weird stick. way. <laughs> he was a man who could transform himself into a hyena-man hybrid by rubbing himself... With a magic stick at nightfall. Sure. Again, sure. not weird. Just like, just, he wasn't no, fondling the stick. It's just him and his magic stick at nightfall, <laughs> rubbing away. <laughs> okay, that's pretty bad when you say that. And then before dawn, he would repeat this and turn himself back into a human. Interesting. So here it's, it's, um, oh, what's the word I'm talking about? Uh, he means to change himself mm-hmm. into a hyena. So different to werewolves. Um, then in Ethiopia, so here, and again a bit of history, um, Ethiopia is, is very, very famous because it actually held one of some of the biggest empires at the time. 
Um, so like during the uh, 8th century BC, so during the classical period, there were small kingdoms which rose and fell. And then during the time of the Roman Empire, there was a uh, kingdom of Axum, the Axumite kingdom. Right. Which is actually considered to be the third most powerful, well, amongst the, the three most powerful empires at the time. So these are the badass motherfuckers that Alexander tried to conquer and failed. Was it Alexander? He didn't actually even try to conquer them. Oh. So Alexander tried to conquer India, but he just couldn't get far enough. <laughs> right. Um, so the Romans tried to conquer Ethiopia. They tried for two years, and then they were like, nah, fuck it. And they, got, and they went away. It was too much. They were very, very strong people. And obviously they didn't have, the Romans didn't have guns and stuff like that. So they were sure. fighting with, like, weapons. Oh, okay. You know, right. saying spear against spear, etc. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it was an even fight. Um, so yeah, it was considered one of the uh, great powers at the time, alongside um, Rome and Persia. Uh, they also traded largely with India and Rome. Okay. Um, then the were hyenas in Ethiopia, uh, here they believed that every blacksmith whose trade is hereditary was a were hyena. Oh, that's interesting. Right? But what do you mean by whose trade was hereditary? I think they mean that um, it's in the family, in terms of it's a trade oh, that's passed down from... Trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume father to son. Right, sure. Um, so not if you, like, a random person learned to be a blacksmith, then you're not aware, you know? It was, <laughs> it was in the family. Maybe it's because they're the only ones who knew how to make the magic stick. So that... <laughs> magic stick and sons. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Disco stick and sons. <laughs> um, so actually, you're kind of on the right track. Um, blacksmiths were believed to possess magical powers due to their control over the elements of fire and earth. So... It was thought that they could heal themselves, since they could work with fire and not be burnt. And they thought, they were thought that they could shapeshift because they themselves were able to change the shape of things. Dope! <laughs> so they were the sorcerers. Alchemist hyena sorcerer smith. <laughs> Can you say that five times fast? No, I'm not even, I'm not even gonna try. Okay. <laughs> so because of this, they were often called, I'm gonna say Buddha. I think that's how you pronounce it. Which in Ethiopian folk religion is the power of the evil eye and the ability to turn into a hyena. So, these were hyenas were seen negatively then. So, I don't think it was. It was a bit neutral. I think it was kind of like viewed with suspicion and caution. Mm-hmm. It's not like so these blacksmiths who turned hyenas. They didn't do anything to hurt people. Sure. It's just that they were apparently magical. So, like, keep a distance. All right. So it was just sort of acknowledged that they were powerful. Yeah. But not necessarily sinister or good. Yeah. So not like how people uh, view werewolves. Or used to, until they got sexy, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I just have one more question. Mm -hmm. Um, So in our previous episodes, when we were still legendary, we had a werewolf episode, and that was, um, I think, sort of Greek and Roman... And um, um, uh, Mesopotamian mythology about Mm -hmm. werewolves. So do you think that the werewolf myth evolved in Africa and in uh, Europe like at the same time, or was that kind of like... Cross breeding <laughs> of <laughs> mythology. Um, that's a good question, and also kind of difficult to answer because I don't know when the concept of werehinas came about, or for that matter, werewolves. In terms of um, in terms of literature, we know that the first depiction of a potential werewolf was in the Epic of Gilgamesh. So, but I don't really know when the concept of werehinas came came around. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it developed at the same time or concurrently, and they and. I think we can see a bit later when I talk about how they saw hyenas a bit a bit further on. They they are quite similar in certain attributes. And I don't know whether that's because ideas were exchanged or it's just coincidence. Considering, I mean, if you look at the trade of each of these countries, mm-hmm. 
they were in contact with Greece and Mycenae and Greece, Greece and Rome all the time. Right. So ideas and laws are going to be exchanged. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Oh yeah, okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, so the myth of, of these Buddha, uh, the were hyenas, also exists in Morocco, Mali, and Tanzania. And actually, especially among the, um, again, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Imazikhin, which is an ethnicity of several nations mostly indigenous to North Africa and some northern parts of West Africa. Okay. Um, some people might know them as Berbers, which is actually a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. Um, Berber actually comes from the Greek word barbaros, which means barbarian. Right. So people at the time who wrote about them called them Berbers, but their real names are the Imazikhin. Um, okay. Um, so they also thought that they also had concept of where hyenas. Interesting enough, almost all the information I got on where hyenas called them Berbers, called these people Berbers. Right. So when I saw that, I was like, that doesn't sound right. I actually yeah. went and I found it. Um, so that's just an interesting point is that nobody has decided to change that. Yeah, I think that it's another thing about, you know, what we were talking about a bit earlier in the week, that most of the information that we get about African mythology and folklore actually comes from colonial sources. There's still, to this day, not a lot of material um, that's actually been produced by authentic African authors. I mean, we're getting a lot more in terms of literature um, in a number of genres, and that a lot of the literature that's coming out these days includes aspects of folklore and things, but like what you would call kind of the source texts yeah. on African mythology really come from um, Europeans that had settled in the area at yeah, the time. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, right now the sources that I'm using for this is... is not from African sources. Right. Um, I can't find anything like that. Um, but anyway. So then in Sudan, the Werahinas in Sudan were represented. Now, these guys were represented in a more negative light. This okay. is more similar to werewolves. Um, according to Sudan law, Sudanese law, Werahinas hunted at night for human flesh, especially the flesh of lovers who were out at night. Okay. It was like your evil mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> so the creature has the body of a human, but with excessively hairy uh, excessively hairy body, red tinted eyes, and a nasal-like voice. Oh. So I don't, I don't know if that implies that it spoke, uh, like it spoke as humans speak, only nasal-like, <laughs> or whether its growls were nasal-like. Um. Well, because <laughs> I'm trying to imagine a nasal-like growl. It doesn't seem to have much of an animalistic um, aspect besides the fur, right? Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. And the red tinted eyes. So you think it spoke normally? Yeah, I'm thinking just you know, uh, maybe it had a French accent. It was a <laughs> Hello? Hello? Je suis Weraina. <laughs> I am two lovers. It's time to eat. <laughs> um, and then in Nigeria, um, specifically in Borno, a northeastern state of Nigeria, here where hyenas were actually called Bultungan, which means I turn into I hyena. Oh, okay. Well, that's what it says on the box. Yeah. Um, here it's possible that the hyenas could also willingly turn. Okay. From human into hyena. That seems to be kind of a common thing, yeah. Like, nowhere does it say they don't have control over it. Right. Whereas, I think with whales... Actually, I don't know about the original law, but I think with whales, it, it was uncontrolled. Right. That or does they seem were possibly to be, turned into. Yeah, that does seem to be the more common Western uh, version of werewolves. Yeah. It's interesting to see that, like, uncontrolled versus control aspect. And let us not forget Wallace and Gromit, the curse of the were-rabbit. Ah, uh, yes. Another seminal example of were-creatures. It's true. It's true. Ferocious... You know, you gotta hide your cabbages, hide your carrots. <laughs> <laughs> so, in general, where hyenas were thought to come into existence through two main methods. 
either by being bitten by another were hyena or through some form of magic. So like um, with the myth of Chorus Morris in the Somalia, mm-hmm. with the magic stick. Right. <laughs> um, it was also thought, and I found this quite interesting, that like hyenas, were hyenas would hunt in packs led by an alpha female. Because hyenas have alpha females. Yes, hyenas whereas are matriarchal. Werewolves right. would hunt in packs of alpha males. Right. So there's a similarity is that you can turn someone into a, a werehyena by biting them. Right. But there's a similarity with werewolves. Um, so either that was a coincidence or that is something that either agriculture or whichever, I'm not entirely sure which way it went. I mean, there does seem to be a general fascination with half human, half um, animal creatures. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, across humanity mm. in general. Because, I mean, if we go up to Egypt, then we get the um, old Egyptian gods like Anubis, yeah. Horus, and so exactly. on and so forth based on a similar kind of principle. Mm. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there was some cultural mixing, but if these ideas really kind of germinated in people's brains at the same time in totally different mm. locations. Actually, now that you say it's interesting, because aside from werehyenas, there's also, you get werecats, which are called bastards. Right. After Bast, the cat goddess in Egyptian mythology. Um, and then in the Asian, uh, in like China and other places, <laughs> in the Asian world, you get... Um, you get other types of werecats. Right. So, like, it's kind of everywhere. You get wear jaguars, you get wear panthers. Like, yeah. It exists everywhere, I think. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what New Zealand gets. Wear kiwis. <laughs> Australia gets wear kangaroos. Oh, I was thinking wear wombats. Ooh. Oh, that would be so cute. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really cute, actually. Wow. And yeah, people. Wear llamas. <laughs> Yeah, it's just funny to me how people always pick mammals also. Like, you don't get the wear ladybug or the wear flamingo. I mean, like, wear flamingo. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to change into a stinky pink bird? Uh, me. What, really? Yeah, I'd totally love to be a flamingo. Are you Bye. crazy? Dude, they're amazing. They just stand around all day, eat shrimp, you know, color the African sunset or whatever the fuck. I do like shrimp. Also, they have incredible pounds because they only stand on one leg. Exactly. Mm, I see a point. Also, you get to p- wear pink. Pink every day, not just on Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> Although, on a more serious note, I wonder why we are so obsessed with shape-shifting. In almost every mythology, there exists something that shifts. Well, again, we did talk about, um, on, on previous episodes, about real conditions like lycanthropy and things like that, you know, psychological disorders where people think that they are certain animals. So, if we go with the perspective that all mythology is grounded in some kind of natural phenomenon, mm. then it could be something similar that you got people who had genuine psychological disorders where they thought that they were animals, and because the people at the time couldn't explain this clinically, mm-hmm. they came up with fables and myths about it. But if you think about the fascination that we have with the ability to shapeshift, is it something like something animalistic in our nature? Or, you know, we're still so fascinated with things that could turn into animals. Well, I mean, it's just cool, isn't it? <laughs> but, like, it's just interesting. <laughs> I mean, when haven't you looked at a powerful creature and thought, like, damn, I wish I was that? You see, this is why nobody wants to turn into a flamingo. Well, I, maybe. I don't care about power so much as plumage. I'm just saying you stink, and I will not come see you at the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, so my references uh, started with Wikipedia, and then I mostly used Nathan Robert Brown's A Complete Idiot's Guide to Werewolves. <laughs> we talked a little bit about this in Werecats. Um, a bit short, but me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like that. I had no idea that we had um, a history of were creatures in Africa. Yeah. So, what do you think would be the uh, South African equivalent of uh, were hyena? I mean, of course, we also got hyenas, but. Uh, okay, let's see, South Africa. 
I, my first thought was like, where guinea fowl? Where guinea fowl? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, if you haven't seen a guinea fowl, please do yourself a favor <laughs> and Google that right now because you'll understand why. I mean, I'm we would get where wild dogs. Yeah, we're wild dogs. I mean, yeah. those guys are cute as fuck, but also really creepy and will tear you apart. <laughs> also, if anyone has ever watched a documentary about wild dogs and thought like, oh, those guys are really vicious or scary, you seriously need to hear them in real life. They have the squeakiest voices. They sound like, you know the penguin from Toy Story 2? Oh, yeah. Squeaker Squeaky or Squeaky, Squeaky. <laughs> whatever his name Mr. was. Mr. Squeak. They literally sound like that. Mm. It's like... <laughs> but don't that, that... They are very ferocious. Don't just approach one. They're not dogs oh yeah they will tear you apart that reminds me um i saw a news article i think you saw you told me about this actually about the guy who stuck his hand out of a vehicle while on safari and almost got it chomped off by a lion man that was so funny so so it was really stupid i'm sorry whoever you are but you are really stupid because not only did he stick his hand out of uh, the window to pet the lion Mm -hmm. the lion wasn't facing him yeah so you're petting a predator without it knowing about you. Right. That's like approaching a horse from behind. Yeah. And horses are pretty docile. A horse with really big teeth <laughs> and carnivorous habits. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow he managed to pull his um, hand. Actually, the lion didn't really try to bite him. It looked around first. It actually gave him a... It paused like it was giving the man time to withdraw his hand. Yeah, I mean, so the thing is, you know, lions are not necessarily aggressive by nature, but any animal that you startle is mm. going to uh, defend itself. Uh, so it's just not a good idea. I mean, these mm-hmm. are wild animals. They're raised in uh, conservation areas, which means that they're not really used to getting into contact with humans that much. Not that close, anyway. Yeah, and I mean, especially if they don't know you, that's like a, it's a big no-no. So just mm-hmm. PSA for anyone who is on safari or thinking of going on safari, please keep all your limbs within the vehicle. Yeah, think of it as a roller coaster. Well, yeah, think of it as a roller coaster, but like everywhere is lava. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wait, water slide. I'm thinking about water slide, sorry, not a roller coaster. <laughs> you keep your hands there next to you, otherwise you'll lose them. Yeah, basically, it's... Yeah. yeah. I mean, actually, he was lucky, because lions are pretty docile. Like, even the female lions. Like, if it was a tiger, oh, he'd be dead. <laughs> tigers are scary motherfuckers. Well, fortunately, we sure. don't have tigers roaming around in the wild. In no, but we do actually have tigers. Well, in enclosures. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely, so... Yeah, that, that goes for lions, that goes for hyenas. That also goes for things that you would think wouldn't attack you, like giraffes and zebra and stuff. Mm, they kick. No, the thing is, like, even if they don't, it just rarely disturbs the animals um, when you try to touch them or something like that because, you know, you're uh, sort of impregnating them with your human smell. Mm, and that could say impregnate. <laughs> and that could lead uh, to the animal being rejected by its herd or its pack or something like that. So you just really don't want to be messing with mm. kind of the natural ecosystem. Yeah, it's actually why we've, I think we've banned uh, cub petting. Yeah, absolutely. It's also, it's kind of dramatic for the animals as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just not supposed to happen. <laughs> it's like, what? but why? Why is big monkey touching me? Right? I mean, you can't make everything your pets. That being said, foxes. <laughs> are being are going to become our pets in a few years but it's going to happen okay anyway. Okay, so now we're going to go on to a short promo break and then I'm going to be back with my story you are not ready oh. hey true crime fans have you listened to wine and crime yet we're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by three childhood friends who chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash our worst Minnesotan accents. 
Each week, us gals pick a true crime topic and pair it with a delicious wine before delving into the background and psychology behind the crime. Then we share and speculate wildly about a couple of bonkers cases related to the topic. Past episodes include necrophilia, cults, crimes of passion, cruise ship disappearances, exorcisms gone wrong, all this over a bottle of wine, or let's be real, three. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod, and check out our website and blog at WineandCrimePodcast.com. Cheers! Okay, so you took us to East Africa and... Uh, North Africa. Mm-hmm. I'm taking us all the way back down to the heart of Southern Africa. Okay. To the famous Zambezi River, oh. home to one of the world's largest waterfalls. You may have heard of it, the Victoria Falls. Never heard of it. I'm joking. Don't I'm joking. be lying up in here. Sorry. Why are you always lying? <laughs> You're always lying. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the Victoria Falls, as I'm sure most people know, borders Zambia and Zimbabwe. Um, and the Zambezi River, which supplies the falls, is the fourth longest river in Africa. Sure, sure. As we all know, the first uh, longest river in Africa is, of course, the Nile. Now, beneath the deep greenish-blue waters, mm-hmm. a river spirit lurks. Uh, okay. This spirit's name is Nyami Nyami. Nyami Nyami! Sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so excited. I literally saw a little bit about this last week. And I was like, this seems like a really cool thing to talk about. Oh, I'm, I'm so, so glad excited. you didn't do this. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, Nyami Nyami, <laughs> a powerful and mighty god of the Tonga people. Uh-huh. So I just want to talk a little bit about the Tonga ethnic group because I mm-hmm. uh, don't know about you. It's not something I knew however a lot about. I don't know anything about this. So the Tonga referred to here um, are not those of Malawi, but of Zambia and Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. They are also culturally distinct from the Tsonga people of South Africa. So don't go th- get those two twisted. The Tonga number up to about 300,000, and the languages prevalent in this group are Chitonga, Shona, Ndebele, and English. Okay. So thanks, colonialism. <laughs> <laughs> but also, that's the only language you can speak, so... Thanks, thanks. colonialism. <laughs> Now, Nyami Nyami is not a vengeful god by nature, and is instead seen as a protector of the people, often supplying them with food. Yay, Nyami! He has been described in a variety of ways, sometimes as a fish-headed creature with the body of a snake, sometimes as a river dragon, and even as a whirlpool. Oh, okay. Yeah, like as an actual sort of fluvial structure. Nice. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, according to Jabula Kangwenda, a 91-year-old resident of the area... 91? Yeah, awesome. he's been there a while. Quote, every time it came out, the water would go in reverse, mysteriously flow unnaturally. When it revealed itself, only the shoulders would be visible, never the head, just as the hippo behaves in water. Oh, okay. So, um, not sure how many people have seen hippos um, walking underneath the water, but usually all you would see is maybe the tips of the ears, a little bit of the um, humped, well, not really humped, but like of the back, the back which, yeah. which is like a curved sort of back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe that's... That's kind of what Jabula was referring to here. Mm. Also, if anybody's, uh, if anyone has not seen a hippo run on the ground, go Google it right now, because I was shocked. 
I know. I was so shook. It was actually my fiance told me that hippos could run. I never really thought about it before because I've only ever seen them like sort of hanging out in rivers and stuff like that. They seemed really, you know, like slow and yeah, they seem really placid creatures. But whoa, those bitches can run. Mm-hmm. And they chase you. Mm-hmm. Were you wasn't chasing a car. I don't, like that. I don't even I don't know, know, man. Man, hippo. Sheesh. You want to play? <laughs> sure. As they say here. Okay. Nyami Nyami and his wife Kitapo, which is a mermaid-like spirit, mm-hmm. reside in the Kariba Gorge, which, which sits on the border between Zambia and Zimbabwe, and through which the Zambezi River flowed until the construction of the Kariba Dam in 1959. And actually, the construction of this dam is, actually, is the heart of the tale that I'm about to tell. Okay. So we're actually looking at a kind of... I mean, Nyami Nyami himself is, of course, an ancient uh, creature in terms of mythology, but the legend around him is fairly recent. So first, a few important notes about the dam itself. The Kariba Dam was built for the purposes of supplying hydroelectric power to parts of both Zambia and Zimbabwe, and at present it generates around 6,400 gigawatt hours per annum. Okay. So can I just say... (laughs) No, can I just say we love renewable energy... Oh, and yeah. I have to say, there's so many parts of Africa that are really um, getting on renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanzania is building renewable energy plants. They've recently banned plastic. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're, we're really getting ahead on uh, climate change, so that's great. Um, so while this new source of renewable energy is undeniably useful, its construction forcibly displaced around 57,000 Tonga people living along the Zambezi River in both the northern and southern parts of what was at the time known as Rhodesia, that is, modern Zimbabwe and Zambia. Okay. So I have a quote here by um, a resident of the Zambezi Basin, Fanwell Simbamba. Nope, Simamba. <laughs> My bad. So, quote, We were moved to very dry lands, very rocky areas, very infertile land. So we lost quite a lot. We lost our animals, we lost the culture, our shrines, our cemeteries because of this construction. So, literally, the colonialists, which I believe were either... Um, it, Italian or Dutch? I, I think Italian, mm, Italian colonialists at this time um, just sort of forcibly evicted 57,000 of, of these native peoples from the area to build the dam. Okay, so they didn't even find, like, they didn't even make other homes for them? Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm actually kind of getting onto okay. that, but I mean, where they moved them from an environment where they were um, thriving and where they were used to, um, you know, the specific conditions, which were obviously quite wet and so on, yeah. you know, living along the river. I mean, they forced them out of their home. That's yeah, period. to these really sort of dry, rocky, difficult-to-farm areas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can imagine it was a huge adjustment. According to Thea Scudder, an American anthropologist at the California Institute of Technology, quote, Today, most are still development refugees. Many live in less productive, problem-prone areas, some of which have been so seriously degraded within the last generation that they resemble lands on the edge of the Sahara Desert. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's clear that uh, the resettlement aid and remuneration that the uh, Italian construction workers supposedly offered to the Tonga people really fell very far short of the promised amounts that were you know, advertised at the time of the um, construction. Yeah. So uh, the Kariba Dam has even been called the worst dam resettlement disaster in history. Wow, okay. <laughs> In addition, due to its control of the major part of the Zambezi River's runoff, the construction of the dam dramatically altered the natural ecology of the river, not to mention the mass deforestation that occurred in order to make space for construction workers' new residences. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously the idea of implementing um, hydroelectric power and things like that, that's great. But Mm -hmm. we must remember that at the time that this dam was built, 
the objective was not actually to harness the water for hydroelectricity. The objective was to dam the river for the use of um, colonialists, yeah. you know, that were um, in power at the time, ruling over Rhodesia. Yeah. And definitely it was not for the benefit of the native peoples there. So, with all this background in mind, let's dive into the actual legend. Okay. The word Kariba is derived from a word which means trap, and it refers to a special rock located in the gorge where Nyami Nyami is said to reside. This rock was so sacred to the Tonga people that they believed that anyone who approached it would be hauled into the river and forced to spend eternity beneath the water. Oh, alive? Or forever drowning? It is unclear. Oh my. But I assume if you're going to spend eternity and not like the first three minutes that it would take for you to drown, then yeah, you're alive. No, no, I was thinking like forever in the state of drowning. Oh. That's horrible. No, I, I don't know. I was just confused. Your imagination terrifies me. Sorry. So, <laughs> uh, so basically, don't touch the sacred rock. Yeah, that makes sense. I also imagine it didn't help that Yami Yami was rumored to stain the water red as if with blood as he passed by. Ooh, some of shit. <laughs> the Tonga people believed that the construction of the Kariba Dam would anger Yami Yami since it would physically separate him from his wife. And since the newly formed Lake Kariba would effectively engulf his sacred rock in 30 meters of water. So apparently for a river guard, he wasn't that chill with getting damp. He was like, I'm a river guard, but don't get my rock damp. Oh yeah, it's his rock. Also his wife. Yeah, I mean, you really going to put him in eternal quarantine away from his wife? <gasps> <laughs> so as it turned out, the Tonga were right. On the night of 15th February 1950, the Indian Ocean brought forth a mighty cyclone, drowning the, usual the usually stable and landlocked valley in over 15 inches of rain within a few hours. The Zambezi swelled to 7 meters in height that evening, washing away entire villages and leaving antelope and other wildlife grotesquely dangling from the treetops. Ew, okay, but come on. Look, I know you're angry, but why do you have to take it out against the wildlife? Ah, collateral damage. Also, a survey team that had been sent out to assess the feasibility of the dam's construction perished entirely. Wow. Nice. Yes. I mean, bad. <laughs> so, um... That was the first one. Then, in 1955, floods of unprecedented force and volume suffused the gorge, dismantling the foundations of the unfinished dam and destroying a recently finished bridge. Mm -hmm. Among those killed in the flood were white men whose bodies could not be located. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, that's horrible. Wow, you sound really empathetic. I am, I am very sad right now. <laughs> in desperation, the construction crew entreated the Tonga elders for help in dealing with the crisis since it was historically the duty of the elders to act as a liaison with Nyami Nyami on behalf of the tribesmen. Oh, now it matters. Yeah, so basically, um, these Italian construction workers uh, searched and searched for the bodies of their fallen comrades, and eventually, because they couldn't find it, they were like, listen, elders, <laughs> you want to <laughs> jump in, in here? <laughs> and I mean, you know, it just goes to show how kind of tolerant these people were, because they did actually help them. Okay, yeah. The elders explained that construction of the dam had angered the river god and that a sacrifice must be made to appease him. A human sacrifice? No, dude. Oh, sorry. Where do you think this is? I don't know. South I America. Just... <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no Aztecs. I just go to the worst thing possible. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, so... Um, Animal sacrifice. Yeah, right. The construction workers reluctantly conceded and a black calf was slaughtered and laid upon the water. <laughs> calf? Black? Because it's a sad thing. Not sure, actually, why it was specifically a black calf. Yeah, I mean, I know in Greek mythology, you know, when you sacrifice black animals, it's usually to, to the gods of the dead. So it makes sense, because you're trying to, because, you know, you kill people. Right, well, I mean, Maybe. I had no I idea know. if it's, like, the same kind of principle. Yeah, I don't know, it's potato potato. Yeah. 
The next morning, the calf had disappeared, and in its place lay the lost bodies of the workers that were killed in the flood. Oh my god. Spooky, right? Okay. So although a flood of the size experienced in 1955 was predicted to occur only at the end of the next thousand years, the very next flood season, Nyami Nyami visited his wrath upon the gorge for a third time. The floodplains of Zambia and forests of Angola filled with water, spilling into the Sanyati River, which feeds the Zambezi very close to the construction site of the dam. In the next 24 hours, the Zambezi rose a full six meters again, washing away the barely started dam for the second time. <laughs> and also, incidentally, the largest digger truck on site. Just take a hint. <laughs> the river subsided only in March, three months after the onset of the flood. Oh. So three months of continuous flooding. Hmm. So, I mean, obviously, it completely um, put to bed any idea of actually, you know, building the dam. Yeah. Those poor animals. Then in 1958, a similar event caused yet more destruction. Although eventually the construction crew triumphed over the river and completed the dam, albeit at the cost of 80 lives. 80? Yeah, eight eight, zero. Yep, that's the number of people that died trying to build this damn dam. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Was it really worth it? <laughs> I mean, I would have stopped after the first 20. Yeah, they were persistent, eh? They were not reading the signs. <laughs> Unfortunately, since the dam has been constructed, Nyami Nyami and his wife have never been seen. To this day, the Tonga people believe that the many earthquakes that plagued the lake zone since the construction of the dam are caused by Nyami Nyami in his attempts to destroy the dam and reunite with his wife. Okay, so like, do they have to put the dam right there, though? Right, couldn't they have put it like, know, a f- little like bit a, further upriver? Yeah, so like, negotiate with Nyami Nyami, like, look, we want to build the dam, but maybe <laughs> not right here. Like, where would you suggest? I think the whole point is that it was a natural gorge, so it was kind of like the most obvious place to build a dam, you know? Yeah. It, it, it was already kind of like spreading out into the basin. Mm. But yeah, so that is the story of Nyami Nyami, the river spirit of the Zambezi River. It's so exciting. Uh, my sources were CGTN Africa, VictoriaFallsGuide.net, and Wikipedia. Awesome. That was really good. Right. I'm so sad. I know. I feel so bad for this guy and his wife. Although, a question. Did he get together with somebody else? Uh, I guess you have to ask him. And also, did his wife get together with someone else? Are they now in an open marriage? <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> Looking for Nyami Nyami, the sequel. Also, do they have children? And how do they share them? Do they like, visit occasionally? Yeah, so I mean, look, I sympathize with you. I do actually have a lot more questions, but there's really not that much information that I could find about um, this particular spirit. Yeah. So, yeah, I would totally love to hear more. Um, yeah, if anyone listening to this has more information on Nyami Nyami, please do send it to us. Specifically, how his marriage is going. <laughs> right, we're very, we know the we're very excited and interested about his relationship history. Exactly, who has custody over the kids, does he have a Tinder profile, do they have visiting days, and how do they do that if they're blocked off from each other? <laughs> you know, is there some sort of like air spread that helps take the children across? You've written an entire fanfic about this yeah. in the time that I've told you. Actually, yeah, maybe I should just write it. <laughs> <laughs> Not writing your own mythology, man, why not? <laughs> Right, so that brings us to the end of our first episode. I'm so excited. I know. Also, my neck is sore. <laughs> I was doing this on the bed. <laughs> yeah, we used to record very professionally from uh, our pillows, and yeah. we have now moved all the way to the other end of the bedroom. So, <laughs> as you can see, getting more profesh by the day. Right, we have a desk. We have a mic. We have a mic stand. <laughs> and the same old doofuses doing this podcast. Yep, we didn't upgrade that. That was a mistake. Right? You didn't order the brain upgrade? I forgot about that, yeah. God damn it. It wasn't on special. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, we'll be coming to you into your ear canals every Monday and Friday. 
Snake worms. <laughs> bringing you more tales from deepest Africa mm-hmm. and from shallow parts of Africa as well. <laughs> Not all our stories will involve rivers. No, no. Some of them may involve gasp, lakes. <gasps> or even the ocean. <gasps> oh, wait. The Indian Ocean was ready in you. You realise the river bodies. goes to the, ro- to the ocean, right? Um, anyway, uh, remember to look out for our YouTube videos every Wednesday. Uh, hit subscribe both on our YouTube channel, that's at Legendary Africa, and also on this podcast, wherever you're listening. Drop us a, you know, a little tweet or a, what, what, what do you do on Instagram? A, a DM. DM, that's mm-hmm. it. Sorry, I'm old. Yeah, no, she, I handled social media. Um, <laughs> so tweet me or uh, slide into my DMs. But <laughs> not that way. Um, I'm usually fairly quick at responding. Right. So, you know, if you just want to talk to me, you know, ask me how my day is going, anything. Please. We're lonely. <laughs> We're in quarantine. We want friends. <laughs> um, or email us. Yeah. Uh, just in case you've forgotten from like 10 hours ago when I said this last, mm-hmm. our email address is staylegendarypod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at legendarypod1 mm-hmm. and on Instagram at legendarypod. Yeah. So then otherwise, uh, leave us a review on iTunes or Podchaser. And you can also leave us an audio review on Anchor, right? Yeah, absolutely. You can send us a voice message there as well. Also, um, please look out for future episodes. We're really excited. We've got a bunch of really exciting collabs coming up. Mm. Uh, we're keeping mum about that right now. But you will get further details if you follow our social needs. Does that make you feel younger? Yep, totally makes me feel younger. Okay. <laughs> and until then, stay safe. Stay sexy. And stay legendary. Bye.